Welcome back to another Off the Top Podcast episode. This is me, Jordan. Julian, how you doing? I am doing pretty good, and I'm excited for what we are bringing to the bank. This guy has just been on point episode after episode with the foreshadowing slash dad joke-esque references to kind of what we're going to be talking about. Today, we're going to be talking about kind of the the economic system as far as how kind of the broad structures and the big machines kind of influence our economics and our economy um, in kind of like the real world day-to-day scale. And we know you guys have really hopped on to these topics in the past, so we thought we'd treat you with, you know, another episode in this range and, you know, no better than us to kind of figure out and give you some tips than talking to someone who's currently working on being a master in this subject. Yeah. So unfortunately, I can talk at nauseam about this stuff. And I think that, you know, knowing it and stuff of that nature, I think that it'd be super beneficial to kind of have our listeners kind of get kind of an insider or not insider, but kind of a more knowledgeable handle or tangible feel for the information of kind of like how the economy works. What's the Federal Reserve? What does it do? Things of that nature, because it kind of elevates your game as far as knowing what's going on with the inflation rate, with job numbers and interest rates and things of that nature. But without further ado, I'm going to just jump in. So I did mention the the Fed or the Federal Reserve, and I'll talk about kind of mainly U.S. Um, instances because 99% of you guys uh, that are listening, shout out to the data, are from the U.S. And specifically, I want to take the time to shout out my homie in Ashburn, Virginia. I don't know. We don't know who you are, sir, but you're doing an excellent job and we appreciate the support um, and go ahead and reach out to us. But so the U.S. Fed or the Federal Reserve is a um, is a government operated basically um, facility or entity that helps control the economy's money supply. And um, and through that, the money supply then affects the inflation rate and the interest rate itself. And so, so Jordan, I think one of the first things that it's important to understand here is what is the importance of the money supply? That's a really, really good question. So basically, the importance of the money supply, if you think of it as like a broad thing. So everyone holds the U.S. dollars or money. And so that money through kind of inflation and deflation uh, has a value. And so the value of the money has to do with a lot of things. But one of the big things is how much other money is out there. So for instance, if Julian and I had a thousand bucks out of the, let's say $17 trillion out in this in the market, that's not a lot of money compared to if we had a thousand bucks compared to you know, like a hundred thousand um, U.S. dollars in the market, and so basically, the money supply affects the value of the dollars held, and then that further on affects later things down the road. Yeah, and you know, another representation of this to me when I think about it is when you know, I guess crypto is still still going on and it's still a thing, but when crypto really was booming for a while last year, the past two years, um, you know, and further back, there's been a finite amount. Um, and holding a whole Bitcoin is associated a certain value because of what can be dug out. And then so when you put that in relation to, you know, the USD as we're talking about here, as opposed to, I don't know, uh, the I think it's the Vietnamese dong. But 
I thought I thought it was a bot. Yeah. Maybe it's the Philip. Maybe it's the Philippines. The dong, where you know they have nine thousand dongs, which is equivalent to maybe ten or fifteen USD. Um, that's how you're associating different money supplies and what that value is as we go across, um, you know, areas. But back into where we're at. So now, Jordan, we understand the money supply, um, and then further. You know, you kind of touch on the Federal Reserve and inf- inflation. Yeah, absolutely. So basically, um, to kind of get back to understanding what the Federal Reserve does, you got to kind of understand their goals. And a main goal that they have, and granted, if you look at other countries, their Federal Reserve will be able to do or does or has the goal of different things. But in the U.S. and kind of more like first world countries and um, or like powerhouse countries, you'll find that the Federal Reserve has a role in creating stable prices. And stable prices is a thing of, you know, you go into the supermarket and grab a gallon of milk and you know that the gallon of milk that you buy today probably isn't going to fluctuate a lot from the gallon of milk you buy yes tomorrow. And the fact that it's not going to jump 15 bucks or things of that nature. So when you see that happening, that's kind of the the byproduct or the goal of the Federal Reserve kind of coming into action as far as stable prices and a like strong economy. And so, you know, when they're working to create the strong economy overall, what other factors play into a nation's economy? We'll use the U.S. for an example. You know, what are some things when you're taking a look at or anal- analyzing the state of the U.S. economy? What are some of the bigger players when looking at that? Dude, I'm about to, yeah, and let me hold myself back because I've, I've studied, <laughs> I, you know, I've, I've uh, spent a lot of the hours in the library learning the, just this. But basically the other roles in the economy that kind of play a big part is obviously interest rate, which is directly has a, a correlation, positive or negative. So it'll be a negative um, correlation between the inflation rate or like the amount of money out there, which is other known or technically known as the inflation rate of a certain asset or a dollar. So for instance, the, as the money supply goes up, as the U S dollar gets more like the bot, um, you'll find that that means that the money supply is high, which means that interest rates are going to be quite low. And the reason why is because, um, Interest rates are based off of, so the interest rates that we see are based off the real interest rate and then expected inflation. So what that means is that with high interest rates, we don't assume that there's going to be a lot of return or, for instance, let's say that the dollar means less. So why would I give you more money for the dollar that you save with me with the interest rate? And I, I mean, that's one of the concepts I think that it's very important to understand because the term inflation and we're also commonly associated with interest rate when it comes to um, economics and finances, that why they're so beneficial to understand what it really means when you hear it being thrown out on the news or um, new data is coming in to represent these numbers. Um, and so going further, you know, when you're looking at the, the interest rate, um, and inflation. What are some of the things, you know, you found in your times researching this that you find most intriguing about inflation or interest rates? 
Um, so I find that kind of like some of the most intriguing part is that how the money supply can affect so many things as far as um, like it's quite interesting that uh, so the Federal Reserve, like I said, is the part of the government. So imagine this. So as the Federal Reserve creates money, it basically is creating revenue for itself, which is really interesting in the fact that they have control over how much money they want to make, and which means kind of in a very not as like impactful way-ish, but a way that plays a part is they control how much money that they can create from this. And that's so that's going to be called seniorage. And then another thing too is if, for instance, let's say I create this a country of mine called Off the Top Land, and I and somebody, one of our listeners buys a bond from me. So basically, they are basically now I got a loan from them. And so I have to start paying them money in the future in off the top dollars. So one thing I can do if I said, yeah, I kind of that's actually a pretty expensive loan. And I'm not really into it. What I can do and it's quite insidious and I don't think it happens that much and it's a very small part. But basically what another option is to lower that value of the loan is I can just create a whole bunch of off the top dollars, decreasing the value of the loan and basically and in a way creating revenue for myself after I took that loan as far as having the value of the loan decrease. And so that's called inflation tax. And that's what kind of happens in a country when that happens. And when you kind of leak into inflation, it kind of is an interesting game because you have these terms that are a little bit confusing as far as you have normal inflation, which is kind of the growth of the inflation rate compared to the consumer price index, which is um, the consumer price index is basically kind of your normal goods. So they'll have the price index of a loaf of bread and then they'll compare it to a loaf of bread at the beginning of the year. And so that change of price has to be inflation. Um, and so on top of that, you'll have inflation, um, deflation, which is a lowering of uh, basically decreasing of the growth rate, disinflation, which is a slowing of the inflation rate, and then like stagflation, which is just something else that has to do with uh, unemployment. And so it's like, it's quite convoluted. So let me pump the brakes and see if you have a question somehow perfectly segued into my next question. Um, going back to the Federal Reserve and being able to generate revenue, um, also being tied into unemployment. So job data, right? Cool. You know, each quarter we get new job data on how the U.S. is performing or, you know, in other countries. What is the benefit to our economy and to, you know, analyze the creation of new jobs and what does the creation of new jobs do for our economy? So the the creation of new jobs is, is a little bit of an interesting data point in the fact that the analysis of it is really important, but it only tells you something about the past. And the reason why is because the creation of jobs is one of those things that's a lagging indicator is technically what it's called. And the reason why that's said is because, so think of it this way, if you own a company and all of a sudden, Julian, you make uh, fuel rods. And if you don't get the joke, uh, listen to our last episode of about nuclear energy. So Julian has a, uh, a fuel rod store and 
all of a sudden people come are coming in and buying a whole bunch of his products one day. Is that same day Julian's going to try to hire somebody? Probably not. I would say that you're probably not going to try to hire somebody off of one day of like a really good sales. You know what I'm saying? So in that sense, you would see, okay, so if this is today, maybe it was just an anomaly. So you wait the next day, it happens again, and it happens again, and it happens again. So after it happens a couple times, then you go out to hire somebody. And that's why it's a lagging indicator, because it only tells you what happened in the past. The first start of that day was when the economy was doing well, but you decided on day or day 14 when the economy was doing well to hire somebody. So that's why they're lagging indicators, but still important ones because it kind of gives you the kind of the the way of the momentum of the economy in itself. And obviously there's other things that play a role in kind of like why job numbers are important and or like what other storytelling is there that the economy has to say, yeah, we're doing good or no, we're not doing that hot. Yeah, that's fascinating. I never thought about it as a lagging indicator. Grant, I never really looked at it too heavy, but it, it that does make sense that you aren't going to be seeking new employment um, or new employees on just one days of one day of sale. You're going to need more data to understand if your business is trending upward, um, if the economy is responding to what your business is doing well, if people you know have more money to spend on your store, things like that, um, where I can see the picture being painted um, and. One of the things I think of being, you know, a potential business owner, you know, in my lifetime at some point, if I want to go down that route is understanding uh, my debts, right? In the national economies, um, you are constantly trading or selling, buying, purchasing, importing, exporting different products or resources, materials, and you land into some sort of debt for the most part. Um, so when looking at, you know, a, a country's debt, what is that really saying, Jordan? Uh, first thing I want to say about uh, economic and countrywide debt or national debt is that it kind of it kind of has a bad rap. And before you start scratching your heads and saying, like, what the hell are you talking about? Like, that's horrible. Debt on a personal level might be not as good as a country level. And the reason why is because um, I'll take another instance of, but I'll make it U.S. and Japan. So U.S. and Japan have a relationship with each other. Japan sends the U.S. stuff and the U.S. sends Japan stuff. The Japan doesn't have that much oil. So they say, hey, U.S., you mind like sending us oil? We'll pay for it. And so they, you know, back and forth and the U.S. asks Japan for things as well. And so what happens in that case is that when you have debt, it makes countries want to work with each other more. So Japan, knowing that the U.S. owes them money, are going to be more forgiving and kind of like more accommodating to when the U.S. says, yeah, um, uh, we can't give you as much oil as we normally do or vice versa. And so in that case, debt at a certain level isn't bad at all. The the when debt kind of gets a little bit more interesting is when you kind of hit these soft metric numbers where um, you'll have debt being over 10% of GDP, which is kind of like one of those numbers. And I'm putting it in quotation marks where it, it might not be one of those things that you want to get to. 
Um, and so what GDP is, before I get too far ahead of myself, is um, specifically it's the acronym for gross domestic product, which you can think of as basically the output of your entire economy. So that incorporates like consumption, investment, savings, government spending, exports, and minus imports. So all of that stuff wrapped up is exactly as much as the com- or your country produces. And so debt, kind of, we think of it as kind of a ratio between like how much, how much you're making. And in some cases, in some countries, the debt is at one ten percent. Debt is at one hundred percent. Debt is over GDP when it comes to things, and um, it it's a very country by country basis on if that's like extremely good or extremely scary. Um, but it's one of those things where it kind of comes down to the the country level of you know your ins and your outs. If you're doing a lot of government spending and you don't have a lot of tax revenue to kind of like balance that spending or something to kind of like assage that. So in the U.S., for instance, right now, I would say that's the case where we're going to be incurring a lot of debt because we're increasing government um, programs. So let's say the military and things of that nature. And that's fine. But at the same time, we do have tax cuts and we did have tax cuts where then in itself, basically, we're making less but consuming more. And then that essentially, I mean, everyone can understand that that would incur debt. Yeah, I think that was a beautiful explanation. And I think one of the things that, you know, I, I thought of during this this time too, when you're working with other countries or figuring out ways to appease one another, um, also ties into um you know, the way some markets are looking and the, the basis of the markets. So, you know, in a grand scale of thing, when you're looking at different indexes or um, areas or the stock market, what does that reflect about an economy based on what you can see in, for example, the S&P 500 or the stock market? Um, so how the stock market kind of wraps up into the economy and kind of the, the country's economy is... I would say that it's one of those things where it's kind of like the fast twitch muscle of the economy. And um, this might be kind of a off the wall interpretation because I haven't heard anybody else say this. I mean, somebody might have, but I think the reason why I would call it kind of like the fast twitch muscle of the economy is because it's so efficient, so active and so quick to kind of adjust itself that it is a really, really speedy interpretation of kind of the um, sentiment or condition of the economy. But while that being said, it's one of those things where the fast switch can overreact in the sense where if there's anything of geopolitical risk that could happen, which sometimes there is, you'll see the economy or the stock market specifically um, react somewhat volatilely when it's only supposition or there's nothing extremely like concrete in what's going on. It's just kind of like this might happen. And so the markets react quickly. And in that reaction, there's obviously like very technical and numbers wise reactions or, you know, estimations. There's also emotional reactions as well. And so like, you know, breaking it down, not going too far down that rabbit hole, but because there's podcasts about this that we've done in the past, but that's kind of the 
what Warren Buffett does is he's the kind of like the the sage of Omaha's his nickname is because he takes the emotional side out of it and is just working with the numbers and you know very technical estimations of numbers in the valuations instead of that emotional reaction. So that's what I would consider uh, the the stock market to be in the overall economy. It doesn't really play a huge part as far as yeah, it probably affects consumer confidence with the um, you know, there's something called the wealth effect that has to do with the economy that bridges into the stock market, which is basically, Julian, if your whatever your net worth is, if it increases and it could be due to um, you have a basketball card collection and you realize that you have this rookie Michael Jordan card that's worth a thousand bucks or a hundred thousand dollars from that, since your net worth is higher, the wealth effect says that you will start consuming more. Even though it's not an income thing, even though it's not you found $100,000 under your bed that is liquid, just off of the net worth, you'll start consuming more, which would play a part in the economy due to the stock market being a part of somebody's net worth. But that's where I would say kind of they bridge the gap when it comes to like where their play zone is in between each other. One of my last question here, what what is the biggest way and what is the biggest... I don't know if that's the right way to word it, but the the biggest variable that can negatively impact the economy um, or positively, I, I know it's a loaded question, but you could surmise, you know, that what can negatively affect the economy or wing it the, at the strongest amount, what would it be? So I think the thing that single-handedly is one of those things that make economics not necessarily like a science science and is a social science. And the thing that we don't understand that well is the the human aspect of it. So for instance, I can give you like proper valuations on bonds of any sort, but I cannot tell you specifically in the field of economics, uh, there's a lot of work to be done on um, behavior and, um, you know, consumer confidence, which is a huge thing. And so Consumer confidence, which is a measurable um, stat that you'll see the economy come out with and the U.S. comes out with, is basically one of those things where I think that that's a positive impactor and a negative impactor in the sense of, um, you know, it's it's one of those things where you can't really you can't really pin it down because it's like how uh, what's the consumer confidence of Julian? What's the consumer confidence of me? Uh, it's one of those soft and fuzzy things that when consumer, consumer confidence is going up, it's probably due to a matter of, you know, um, momentum in the market, what's happening specifically in the market, what happened yesterday, what we think is going to happen tomorrow. Um, and so that's why I would think it was a positive um, influencer. And I would say, I mean, obviously, it's not the one size fits all tool. I would say inflation used skillfully can be like, you know, a positive in factor. But once again, you know, double-edged sword for both of those. Inflation in a, like a high sense used improperly, which we've seen in, which you can um, currently see in like a, a couple South American countries. And then back in the J with uh, Germany's hyperinflation where people were selling their houses and in the end to like live and eat and in the end couldn't even afford like two cups of coffee with the proceeds that they got from their house. It's it's all double-edged swords where kind of you um, 
you know, you, you got to use them well or else they'll, they'll cut you in the end. And I mean, there's tons, tons as far as, you know, the economic philosophy and uh, what you're supposed to do when a financial crisis hits as far as like, what's the government supposed to do to make it the best that it possibly can to get out of it quickest and things of that nature. But as far as like normal, um, you know, normal things in, you know, normal circumstances, I would say that consumer confidence plays a big role. Um, unemployment numbers play a big role as far as like helping consumer confidence. Um, and inflation plays a big role too, which we talked about earlier. And you guys can obviously see that there is uh, a plethora of variables that affect a country's economy. Um, and, you know, we touched on some some aspects. There's much more we can go down and research a little bit further um, and have Jordan kind of explain some of, you know, the, the more detailed aspects. Um, but we hope you guys enjoyed this podcast. We hope you picked up some different information about, you know, your economy um, and some of the inner workings or just some general stuff about, you know, words you hear very often, like how inflation truly works and the different types of inflation, interest rates, um, and more things down the line. Uh, as you can see, you know, send us a message on Anchor, and I'm sure Jordan was willing to talk about this with you at any length. Yeah, absolutely, guys. I hope you got something out of this because it's one of those things where, you know, I enjoy being knowledgeable and knowing and learning about this type of field because it's quite an important one. Uh, the economy is. And yeah, absolutely. You know, I'm more than happy to kind of talk to you guys, go back and forth, trade ideas, uh, philosophies and understandings of things. Yeah, just reach out to me anywhere. Obviously, like, you know, our email, our Instagram or Twitter or you know, anchor or anything of that nature, you know, super into like chatting about economics. So, you know, give me a reach and I hope you guys enjoyed it. Adios. Adios.